Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, everybody, we want to take a second to talk to you about an amazing sponsor. We have an amazing relationship with RayAllen.com. Ray Allen is a one-stop shop for everything dog, not just working dogs. Everything dog that you need, you can go down there, check them out, RayAllen.com. Awesome people. They got everything you need. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with a dog tree. They've been with us from the start. Uh, great collars, great ball poppers, great GPS tracking, big dog, small dog, bark collars, everything. I got everything that they have at the kennel. We use it every day. Be sure to head them up, dogtree.com. Listen for the discount code later in the episode. Hits 2023 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona. I hear they have a, at the hotel, they have like this super high-end shopping outside. And I think you can go surfing in the desert, which I'm super looking forward to. Anyway, Scottsdale, Arizona. August 15th to the 18th. So hurry up and register now to save a spot and make sure you get a room. Take the guesswork out of making sure you're feeding your working dog correctly by using Kinetic Dog Food. Hit them up at kineticdogfood.com and look them up on the Instagrams at Kinetic Dog Food. Take all the guesswork out and do it right from the beginning. We love Horizon Structures. Dude, this stuff is so awesome, man. You can get online. You can talk to them. You could build it. You want from mild to wild they'll come bring it to your place set it down on your pad hook up your power hook up your water and you can put dogs in it that day if you don't believe me check out some guys like uh, justin rigney's got a great setup there ask him check him out horizonstructures.com all right working dog radio broadcasting the bite i am ted summers as always from well not always but just this time from tulsa oklahoma uh, with me as always from Canton, Ohio, is Eric. Eric, did it, did it ever warm up in Ohio yet? Yeah, it's kind of like a ho- spring is not there no, yet. No, not yet. It, was, it got real nice for a minute, and then it just got really shitty and cold, and we always have one big storm in March, and it happened this weekend. Um, the winds were unbelievable. Blew shingles off. Our, so blew some shingles off our house, hit my wife's car, Gouge the window and the window frame and chip paint off the hood. It's like uh, eighteen hundred bucks worth of damage to her car. Um, our power went out. Came back. We have, we're pretty good. We have a good co- uh, electrical co-op here. But uh, some of my employees that live not even that far from here, their um, their power went out and is not back yet. Not until like tomorrow. What? Yeah, it's no, that's yeah, it does suck. Uh, it was it was bad, so we should be good. It'll be in the forties or fifties for the next couple of weeks, and then it'll start climbing slowly out. But uh, we don't climb slowly. It was like fifty today. It's supposed to be like ninety tomorrow. So then we'll be ready to go. <laughs> we'll be ninety until October. Get into the hundreds, but like I'm wearing a hoodie right now because it was cold as shit today. But uh, and, and the rest of the week is supposed to be no. I got a handler school going on. Uh, I've got five, six. I've got this one's all weird. I normally run them uh, with two to three weeks in between and run four to six week schools. Uh, this time though, I've got a dude that was on vacation, so we started a week late. Then another dog, I had to have some tooth issues fixed, and that was an additional two weeks, and so. And then I've got new dogs being delivered uh, from our buddy. I've got seven, seven coming. So, uh, yeah, that's we got to go down and pick them up here in a couple of days or right after the first of April. So that'll be fun. Um, oh, yeah. You have seven what coming at once. On? 
Yeah, seven coming at once. So six or seven. I have to go back yeah. and look at the invoice. Six or seven, yeah. I have two coming from him next week. Oh, excuse me. Uh, f- uh, Friday this week. Not next week, Friday. Um, I have another dog coming tomorrow from a lady in New York, a big shepherd that I really liked. Um, so, yeah, that dog. F- oh, you sent me videos of that yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. It's- yeah. Did you buy it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. He. Um, yes. I just had to find an agency nice. that wanted a big giant shepherd, you know, and, and I did. Uh, so He's a big boy. Mm-hmm. Nice dog. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, um, Fonzie, that one dog I've been showing a lot on my social media, he left today to his department. I like Fonzie. Fonzie's one of those dogs that I've had in the past couple years, maybe a handful that I would have kept as my personal dog. Actually, he was pretty awesome. Um, I saw that yeah, he was cool. And then I have another dog, Iggy that I'm training up for um, for a small department near me. And I really like Iggy, man. I like him a lot, but I just failed him out of the police program. He he just doesn't have the the ball drive to hunt for it, if that makes sense. So, like, loves yeah. bite work, loves tug. He would probably, I could probably teach him detection using food. Um, he's really food-driven. But I find because he's um, and you got to work on it a lot. I get that, but he takes the food like a like a uh, velociraptor, and so if I'm doing the indirect marker, I mark it. And he comes back; it's full mouth in my fist, and so then, you know, we can we all know how we can correct that and everything. But I find that troublesome with a brand new guy that's going to a place, new handler program they haven't had in years. I'm like, I just I just don't want to do it. Um, so, but I did sell him already to a, a guy who does um, personal protection dogs because he actually would be pretty good at that. He's real nice, social. His OB is real tight. Um, we'll do the bite work. He's pretty clear headed. Really nice dog. I've I ha- I've had a lot of fun with him, but you know, just uh, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, he just didn't really. You know, he liked the process, like of the box. He liked the ball popping out, me popping with my hand or whatever, and and all that. But he wouldn't possess it, and he he wouldn't really go return back and i had to keep getting being involved in it and i'm like yeah i just he, he he's better served doing other things so off we go yeah. so the shepherd's going to replace him so oh nice okay yeah so they went from iggy to a pony mm-hmm. yeah something they can ride put a, put a saddle on <laughs> fair enough so uh what do we got going on tonight so tonight we have um so little known fact we, we've probably mentioned on here before um that outside of the U.S., our biggest um, listener base is in Australia. You can see when you're running a podcast, yeah. you can see where the downloads come from. And we're lucky enough to have a pretty good uh, listener base <clears throat> in Australia. If you followed us, we've had several Australians on the podcast. And um, today's no different. We're going we're gonna to bring on our buddy Tom Brown from Origin Canine. Um, Tom's the owner, founder of Origin Canine. He was spent 12 years in the Australian Army, over to the Middle East several times um, with infantry and then special forces. Uh, he was a special forces uh, dude conducting uh, domestic counterterrorism, which we've talked about on the podcast before, which is interesting because that's not a military function in this country. It's a, a federal law enforcement function, but those guys do it. You know, pretty pretty awesome over there. He was a K nine handler with the Second Commander Regiment, and um, fulfilled that role as a member of the Tactical Assault Group East as part of the Special Forces Domestic Counterterrorism Capability. Um, 
His career ended in 2019. He wanted to stick around like a lot of guys do that are into it, wanted to stick around and stay connected to and contribute to the working canine community. And he started Origin Canine, um, who manufactures specific equipment for handlers and for dogs. So we'll, And we'll get into that during the episode, some of the stuff he does. Um, he has his own podcast, Origin Canine Podcast, uh, which I've been on. I was on episode yeah. six, I think. And um, he's it's not just canine guys. There's canine, there's all kinds of military guys. There's a lot of, um, he gets deep into your head a little bit. There's a lot of mental talk on there. It's, it's really good. It's a very interesting show. And of course, here in the States, everybody likes to listen to Aussies talk uh, with their accent. So uh, without further ado, uh, we're going to introduce Tom Brown. Tom, how are you? Good, man. Good. Thanks for having me on, dude. I, I very much appreciate it. Uh, Tom, what we like to do in the beginning of the podcast, uh, the first segment is kind of get into your history a little bit. Uh, we could probably start like when you entered into the army and go, what led us up to today? Shit, man. Um, all right. So I joined the Australian army in about 2007. So I left school 2006, did a bit of travel. And then I just, I've been thinking about joining the army since I was about 15. So there was a few years there where I was mulling it over and thinking about it and fantasizing about you know, how cool the army is and all that type of shit that you think about as a young dude. And then, uh, yeah, 2007, I joined, um, but I had a, a partner at the time that then became my wife and then later became my ex-wife. Um, so I I sort of had this thing in my mind that I didn't want to get posted away from her and I, you know, didn't want to jeopardise the relationship. So I just went to the, like the army reserve to start. Um, so I did that sort of for a couple of years and then realized pretty quickly that I fucked up and I should have just gone to the fucking regular army and not wasted my time hmm. with the part-time stuff. So, um, basically as soon as I joined, I was like, how do I go full time? And I just got bounced around a bit. Oh, just do the training, do it when you get back, do it at the next block of training, do it when you get back. And then 2009 full time, uh, I went up to a training establishment, did about a year there. Um, like a part of the training team. And then I got posted to the 3rd Battalion, which at that time was the Airborne Battalion. Uh, and that was in Sydney. So Sydney's like a, one of their biggest, most popular kind of cities. Um, and that was that was obviously an infantry airborne unit. So, um, mate, that was all just normal infantry stuff, like going out field, doing exercises, doing random guards every now and then. Um doing courses like mortars and snipers and, and driving courses, that type of shit. And then um, there was a plan early on for the battalion to move up to Townsville, which is like North Australia. So it was, you know, it's about a 15 hour drive up there. So finally in about 2011, uh, they were like, all right, you guys are moving. So they took away the, took away the wings and the maroon beret and then gave us all these big stupid hats that the rest of the army wears. And then we went up to Townsville and then the following year, 2012, we deployed to Afghanistan. Um, and at that time, 2012, uh, the SF guys were going pretty hard and heavy on the kill capture sort of missions. And for us, regular plebs, we were just doing like a training mentoring role with the Afghan army. Um, 
and that was that's the capacity that I, that I went over in, which was it was training the locals or the the Afghan army rather, and then uh, I was also part of the mortar team uh, because I'd done a sniper course the previous year. I would sort of supplement the sniper team. I wasn't a qualified sniper, but I because I'd sort of been on the course, they were like, you know, we'll get you out and get you to help out, OPs that type of shit, and then. Um, uh, yeah, I was also driving a big armoured vehicle. So I, in that sense, I was reasonably lucky that I got to do a fair bit of stuff over there. Um, and yeah, that was that was Afghanistan. Like it was, um, we did a six-month trip and it, it wasn't too intense, to be honest. Um, like we lost some guys. The SF guys lost uh, four, four guys, two of them in one day. And then that same day, we lost three guys to an insider attack. So we had this insider attack. Yeah. yeah, mate, it was it was a bit bit heavy. So um, yeah, it was it was in August 2012, and there was a there'd been a an insider threat in previous years. We'd lost a few other guys to insider attacks, what we call the green on blue. So we're the blue force, they're they're the green force, and red's obviously the baddies. And um, uh, yeah, one night they. Uh, just brassed up some of their dudes at a, at a slightly different patrol base to where I was, and they yeah killed killed three of them, wounded a bunch more, and then the the guy ended up getting away. And then that same night, the unit that I would eventually go to, Second Commando Regiment, um, was launching a helo op, and I I actually can't remember if that was to chase down this guy. His name was Heck Matula. Um, I can't remember if they were spinning up to chase that guy or if it was a separate mission but they ended up having a helo chop a helo crash that night and they lost they lost two dudes so australian army lost five sons that night um all within the space of man fuck it would have been within about five hours probably so that was our biggest loss during the whole afghan campaign um and yeah, mate, that really changed the landscape of that trip. And, you know, although Australia wrapped up their involvement largely in Afghanistan about two years later, I think that changed the way we deployed our forces, um, particularly the way we postured. So after that, it was, you know, very high level to protect ourselves against the Afghan army and was quite standoffish and, you know, we we're still going out and doing patrols and still looking for dudes, particularly that Heck Matula guy, even though he was fucking long gone into a, into a neighboring country that rhymes with Pakistan. Um, and then, yeah, that, that was it, mate. We, we, it was a reasonably interesting trip. It wasn't the, the, the gunfighting, you know, killing heaps of bad dudes trip that I was hoping it would be. But I got to do plenty of interesting things, got to see enough violence that I was that it piqued my interest and I was like, okay, I think I like that. I want some more. But not enough where I came back and I felt like a like a real war hero, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, on the same trip, jump in any time by the way, in case, just in case I'm waffling on. <laughs> nope, just keep going, buddy. Nobody wants to hear from you. <laughs> I do. Um, yeah, so in the same trip, I got to see the SF dudes cutting around, killing baddies, big beards, cam cream, 
cool uniforms, cool guns, all that type of shit that you that you look at and think is is the business, right? Um, flying around to choppers and a few times they flew into the valley I was in and, and killed a bunch of dudes and and uh, I, I was really inspired by that. I had aspirations to go on SF previous to that, but I just I'd never really pulled the trigger properly. I had gone on to a selection course in 2010, but um, mate, I was way 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 too young and immature, so I end up I end up pulling off that course because I think I was 20, 21, way too young. Didn't have a clue what I was doing. Physically, no drama. Mentally and maturity-wise, wasn't prepared, wasn't ready. So getting to see those guys doing that sort of stuff, particularly guys who I'd been in battalion with, seeing them when they were ripping out and then the next rotation coming in, um, yeah, I was like, fuck, man, I really wish I'd done that earlier. So I came back from the 2012 trip, you know, a little bit, Disgruntled, dis- disgruntled, disheartened, I guess. Um, you know, hadn't, mm-hmm. hadn't done what I thought I was going to do. Hadn't seen enough action to satisfy myself. So I came back. I got fucked around a bit by the battalion, as you can imagine. Um, and I was, you know, I was butting heads with all my hierarchy and, and getting the shits with everyone every, and everything. And I ended up discharging uh, 2013 got married in that time and then in a reserve unit, put my application into special operations and then the following year did the selection course in the reinforcement cycle to get into the second commander regiment, which I then passed. Mm-hmm. Um, Real quick, uh, let's back up a little bit before we get into like that. that. Um, so you said something that we haven't really heard anybody say. I was just curious. So back in that original unit, you said you're out doing some driving schools anything cool or is just like big trucks nah man nothing cool dude like i um because in the early days of afghanistan they had um the ied threat was reasonably minimal it started to kind of like iraq i guess it started to ramp up over time so we end up getting these big what we call a pmv protected mobility vehicle which we've since sold to the ukrainians um it's this big um it's called a bushmaster talus makes it in australia Maybe you guys have the same. It's very similar to like an MRAP, right? It's got that sort of V-hull, deflect blast, that type of shit. So as the IED threat ramped up, so did our posture. So we needed to, we needed some better vehicles. And that was the vehicle we got. So because I was part of a mortar team, when I went over 2012, I got put on this um, PMV driving course, you know, for lack of a better term, this MRAP driving course. Mate, it wasn't anything particularly cool, to be honest. It was just a big fucking stupid... Damn Yeah, no, nah, I did cool yeah. driver stuff later mm-hmm. in, in 2 Commando for, for tag and whatnot, yeah. but no, nah, it's just a big stupid garbage truck that we used to drive around. Yeah. Do you think um, moving forward to where the night where the five guys got killed and then how your how your deployment went there and, and felt disgruntled, did you, do you think you had a kind of a, like... We should have killed more motherfuckers. That's why I feel unsatisfied. We lost those five guys, and I didn't get to kill equally amount of people. Yeah, I think that was it, dude. I think um, so. The special forces, the special forces, that guys at the time were were doing. They were doing a lot of stuff. They they were wearing a lot of different hats, right? Largely, they were doing um, you know disruption operations against the like the drug labs and whatnot. 
working with the GEA, the fast teams, or they were doing counter-leadership stuff. So a lot of that stuff, and even the SF guys have, have said this, a lot of that stuff the infantry guys could have either done or supplemented, right, and been a lot more involved in. You know, we were on a bit of a short leash as infantry guys, and this is my theory. I don't think they wanted to send young, regular guys home in body bags. It would be more palatable to the Australian public to watch hard, you know, battle-hardened older Special Forces guys come home in body bags because that's what they're there for, if that makes sense. So I think the Australian government was pretty risk-averse when it came to our conventional forces. So, yeah, that was definitely a frustrating part for me. And, and I, you know, I definitely I came close a couple of times to whacking some dudes, but I just never did. So, you know, that was – it was frustrating because I was like, why the fuck aren't we doing more? Why aren't you using us to kill more baddies? Whereas in this, the very same valley that I was in, and I could literally see it like it from the helipad, I'm like uh, – I think it was called like Niazi and Color Color, the two – places where most of the baddies were, I was like, it's fucking right there. Just why don't you just send us down there and we'll just kill them. So it was frustrating like that because I was like, we could have done so much more. We could have been utilised so much better. And then the only stuff, the only real action that we get is their fucking guys getting shot by the enemy inside the base. I was like, fuck you. You know, like... Let, let us off the leash. Let us do what infantry do. And don't get me wrong, like, we're still out patrolling and looking for guys and, and, you know, trying to find the enemy. But, you know, it was this real haphazard sort of bumble around, see what happens kind of tactic, which I, again, you know, I was a bit disgruntled with. So, yeah, I think that was it, mate. I was like, let us kill fucking bad dudes because that's what we're here for. And we know where they are. Yeah, so they're killing guys behind the wire and yet, they still want you to keep teaching these idiots, you know. Yeah, we still really tough. Well, even years later, mate, when the whole, um, you know, when uh, Afghanistan was shutting down and they did that really hasty withdrawal through uh, Kabul, I think it was Kandahar, Kabul, whichever one it was, and then watching the country just fall to pieces within a matter of weeks. I think it was like a week, two weeks. I remember at the time when I first met the Afghan army. Some of those guys were great. They were like, they were just warriors. They wanted to go get after it and kill baddies and, and you know, they, they were good for it. 90% of them were fucking woeful. I don't know how they got the job. They didn't care. They were lazy. They, were, and they weren't as invested as we were, which is a strange thing because it's, it's their country and their family that's in danger. Um. But the army media would pump this like, oh, yeah, you know, we've part partnered with these very capable allies that are fighting for their country and doing the right thing, blah, 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 blah. And then later on, fucking two weeks, it took for the whole place to go to shit. So, you know, that was the bit of a kick in the guts for a lot of people, I think. Because, <laughs> A, the 10% that were good just got fucking wailed on because the rest of the 90% that were spastics that didn't want to fight just gave up. Same as Iraq. Same shit. Yes, walked off. Yeah. yeah. 100%. So you're over there and you're seeing the SF guys, some some you knew. Um, <clears throat> you're talking about they all got the big beards and the hair. Look at Ted in the monitor. Do they look like him? Could he pass for one of the Australian <laughs> SF guys? Look at that. I don't, I'd have to see the rest <laughs> of you, bro. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have a shit ton of tattoos, and I'm not fat, so there's Man, that. Man, if, if you got tats, you're not fat, and you've got a cool beard, you, you'd, you'd probably fit in, bro, yeah. So so moving forward, you get in this selection. Did you ever get to grow the big? Did you? Are you capable? I couldn't do it. Like, I, I just shaved my bullshit little beard a couple days ago because I looked like I was 97 years old. Um, but even no matter what, I could have been growing it my whole life and still wouldn't be as long as Ted's. Did you ever get to get the big? Dude, going. I don't know what your audience can see on the video, but this is this is about it for me, roughly. Any longer than this, it starts turning into like an Amish neck beard. Gets a bit fuzzy. So, um, oh, yeah, there, there definitely there were times I got to grow my facial hair a little bit, um, either because we were away from the main contingent of the military and we just did whatever we wanted, or because no one gave a shit. So we just, you know, we just shaved sporadically. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So um, when you go through selection and you get in, did you prior to going there, did you think uh, I'm a pretty good like I'm good with a rifle like I can shoot like I can M4. I'm pretty good. And was it a big kick in the teeth when you figured out that you weren't? Well, so the Australian regular army uses the Ostai, the F-88, which is that Austrian rifle, mm. you know, bullpup magazine at the back sort of thing. So we, we never really had any yep. exposure to those sort of AR platforms, right? You know, maybe every now and then, right? The Afghan dudes had M16s, we used to use them. So, yeah, definitely, man. When, when you qualify for a memory on your selection course and the, the brief period after where it's technically not selection but it's still selection, you qualify with iron sights. And, yeah, it's about that time that you go, fuck, there's a lot about shooting I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, it's funny because when I was on SWAT, we had, um, you know, sniper rifles and we had M4s and stuff. They always made us qualify on iron sights. And, um, it's, it's funny to see. And then recall each year, take off your optics, iron sights, iron sights just to, I don't know why, because the, the, uh, the sergeant in charge was in the Marines in the 80s and that's all they had was iron sights. But, um, you you uh you're much better shooter if you're good at that. It's always interesting. We have uh, guys on from a lot of uh, USASOC and JSOC units here, and all the canine guys are like, if they're like, I wasn't going to get into whatever specialized unit that they were in by being a good shooter. Those guys that are in those units have been good shooters for fifteen twenty years. And every single one of them is a good shooter. And they're like, uh, I needed to find something else I'm good at. So I handle a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and almost universally, and almost universally, they're like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll handle a dog. Because they, always, and I mean, you know, during the most recent one, like they were always wanting dogs. And so they're like, yeah, I'm not going to outshoot everybody in this unit, especially being relatively new. But what else am I good at? Like, how can I be valuable? And like, if you go back and listen to a lot of our episodes, some dudes from the, from those units, they're like, yeah, that's how I did it. You know, I mean, those units are filled with fantastic trigger pullers because that's their job. But not all of them are great canine handlers. And we've had some dudes that are fucking magnificent canine handlers on here. So was it very similar where you're at, too? Like you had a lot of dudes that I mean, that's their job, like they're trigger pullers. And you're like, yeah, I'm just a dog guy. <laughs> oh, kind of, man. So my my exposure to dogs didn't come until a little bit later. Like I'd seen, you know, detection dogs or whatever overseas, and I thought it was reasonably interesting. As about as interesting as, you know, somebody did on the street that goes, oh, "I love dogs." My dad is a German Shepherd. But that's for me. That's about as, as mm-hmm. far as it 
it went. It wasn't too later on when we got a proper brief. I think it was on the reinforcement cycle, the training cycle, that they gave us a bit of a demo and they were like, this is what the dogs are, this is what they do. And I just was like, man, that's actually really fucking cool. Um, and even then it took a couple of years before I was interested. So in terms of like the shooting and, and being like a, you know, a valuable member of the team, yes, it is definitely very hard to distinguish yourself because because there are so many like hard-hitting pipe swingers in a unit like Two Commando or SAS, it can be very hard to distinguish yourself. So early on in my career, purely by default, I was made a breacher because generally the, the new guys in this particular role that I was doing go straight into the breaching role because it's quite, it's very time intensive. Oh, sorry, it's very time critical. There's a lot of pressure and you, you've got to learn pretty quickly. So I think in a, in a way, the way I distinguished myself early was as a breacher. I really dived into that role and I had a great time doing breaching. Yeah. Yeah. So it, you said something interesting. Um, it's it's a struggle to distinguish or not a struggle, but it's difficult to distinguish yourself. Is that a goal though? And I mean, is that something you think about? Cause I know, you know, everybody I've ever met that it's in those types of units are so type a and ultra competitive. Is that a mindset? Man, I think it is. I think it is dude. Um, you know, different units have different cultures and try to attract a different type of person. And, and I'll, I'm going to generalize a lot here and make a distinction between the two units. Typically, very stereotypically, the SAS guys over Perth, they're more like your quiet sort of guys that are, you know, a bit more easygoing. And then your two commander guys are a bit more that type A kind of personality, right? And I'm very, very overgeneralizing here. So in a unit like two commando, yes, it's extremely competitive. And there, there are a lot of type A alpha male personalities. So you do want to distinguish yourself. There's, in my opinion, there's a lot less of that grey man type guy, whereas over in Perth, you probably find a few more of those grey men than you would in, in a unit like mine. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So the um, getting in, involved into the um, domestic counterterrorism, uh, Special Forces domestic counterterrorism, was it? Was it what you had been looking for? Was that as shit hot as you expected? Yeah, yeah, it was actually. Yeah, it, like the tempo, the training, the amount of funding we had, um, just all the fucking cool exercises and stuff we did, and the the interagency sort of stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was a great introduction to the to the SF world. Um, and in terms of skills, um, you know, I, I make a big distinction between the cops and the military, particularly now having worked a lot with with both since I've been out. Cops are like 90% ops, 10% training. Military is like 90% training, 10% ops. So I think in a lot of ways, the military lead the way when it comes to training and new ideas and, and you know, taking on that sort of role. Whereas the cops are always doing everything operationally and, the, and they'll, they'll be the pressure cooker to see if this stuff really works. So at that time, as operations were starting to wind down and we were doing a lot of training, like I had a massive uptake in skills, whereas if you go into something like the cops, you may have a skills degradation, but a massive uptake in experience and operational experience, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I don't know if I answered the question or not. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's um yeah, it's it sounds like exactly what I would expect. It, or, um So typically whatever we've talked to guys and everything I've ever heard and listened to other podcasts and all kinds of guys on there when they're in those specialized units like you were in they're um actually encouraged to I don't know why I said that encouraged weird. Encouraged to um I'm going to start talking with an Australian accent here in a minute, just out of assimilation. Um, <laughs> culturally I, uh, appropriating my, uh, my accent. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, uh, they're encouraged to like think outside the box, bring ideas, get, go learn things at training, bring it in, you know, try it, do all this other stuff, probably because it is 90% training, 10% op. In the police world, at least in this States, you aren't encouraged to do any of that shit. Get in line. And even on a SWAT team, even on a um, uh, you know specialized like street crimes unit and things, you're not encouraged to do that. Did you find that separation, or in the groups you were working with, it was pretty the same? Ah, uh, mate. To be honest, that actually changed a lot over my time in the unit. So initially, yes, very much so. Um, you know, knowing what I know now about myself and the way I operate with Origin Canine, I'm a reasonably creative, outside-the-box kind of guy. As a new guy going into that unit, surrounded by a lot of type A sort of personalities who some of those guys had been there for years and done multiple tours and all sorts of stuff. As a new guy coming into that unit with potentially some wacky ideas and, you know, a bit of an outlandish boisterous personality like I've got, sometimes it was appreciated, sometimes it was not. <laughs> so <laughs> early on, I made some great friends uh, and I put a lot of guys offside because I was I was pretty outspoken. I was always wild as fuck on the piss. Like when we went out on the town, I was just wild and loose. So some guys appreciated me, some guys didn't. And I, I found that's generally been the flavour in Australian Special Forces is it depends and i hate giving that answer it depends but it really does man like i was pretty on the nose about the way i did a lot of things i think if i dialed things back about 50 percent, i might have been received a bit better by a lot more dudes yeah all right makes sense yeah so uh, we're going to go ahead and take our first break here. Uh, when we get back with Tom, we're going to talk about the selection process a little bit, and then we're going to run through uh, Tom's first dog. So uh, don't fast forward through the commercials. I don't know the discount codes by heart, so if you send me a DM on Instagram, I'm not going to know them. <laughs> I'll just tell you to listen to the episode. We'll be back in just a second. Hold on. All right, one of the largest conferences in the country. Uh, Hits Canine Training Conference. It's America's premier canine training seminar packed to the brim with the world's best instructors and me and Eric, all covering important topics. There is no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, trainers, and vendors. Hits 2023 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona. I hear they have a, at the hotel, they have like this super high-end shopping outside. And I think you can go surfing in the desert, which I'm super looking forward to. Anyway, Scottsdale, Arizona. August 15th to the 18th. So hurry up and register now to save a spot and make sure you get a room. We'll see everybody there. Largest law enforcement training conference in the world. Tons of training classes. Lots of training topics for everybody and everything. Hours included and more network opportunities. Be sure to hit up Jeff Barrett at 
529-5113 hits k9 letter k number nine dot net and at hits underscore k9 and all of your socials one of the best relationships we have in this podcast and in this industry is with the great people down at kinetic dog food the story of kinetic uh, performance dog food is pretty simple they wanted to make a better premium dog food for the dogs that need it the most their goal is to give every working and sporting dog a higher energy level better performance, and better overall health through superior nutrition. So they formulated a line of food based on what they consider to be the optimal profile of a performing of performance dog. They've done tons of research on this. This isn't their first rodeo. These guys know what they're doing. If you're a kennel, they will come to your kennel. They will see the problems that you have. They will check out what works for the dogs that you have. Um, they're amazing people to work with. They drop ship a pallet right to you if you want. Um, I know a lot of guys that use them. There's a bunch of different formulas on there. And uh, 32K might not be for your dogs. Maybe the 26K works. They can adjust it. They'll give you the right ideas what to do in different parts of the year. Winter's different than summer. It's uh, it's really a well-run, good dog food um, company kineticdogfood.com. Be sure to check them out on social media too, man. They're they're amazing folks. Kineticdogfood.com. So my entire time that I was a handler or a trainer in law enforcement, the cars at my department in the departments that I trained all had American aluminum accessory kennels in the cars. Different cars, man. Dodge Chargers, all the Ford models, some Chevys, uh, SUVs, cars, everything. We loved American Aluminum Accessories. Um, it's a great product, a great company. They've been serving uh, canine law enforcement community for over 20 years. If you check out their uh, website, EZ, that's the letter Z, EZRiderOnline.com. They got testimonials. They got videos on how to. They got a list of everything they have. Uh, just today, we made a post on the Working Dog Radio social media showing a dog that survived a really bad crash because of the American aluminum kennel in the back of the car. Check them out online, guys. EasyRiderOnline.com. Just let them do their thing, man. Whatever car you got for your work, your patrol car, get a hold of them, American aluminum accessories, and get the best in the business. Next up comes uh, training courses online from our friends down at Highland Canine Training, Jason and Aaron Ferguson. So in the post-Rona world, uh, Training budgets have been getting cut. People aren't going to be able to travel, whether it be instructors or they be canine handlers and supervisors going somewhere else for training. So Highland has announced a lot of online training courses. One of those that sticks out to me is their police supervisor canine course. And it's no secret that one of the problems with canine tends to be some of the supervision issues. This course is specifically designed for administrators and covers utilization as well as liability and FL, FLSA issues. The course can be taken at your convenience and you'll receive a certificate of completion at the end. When you go to Tactical Police Canine Training, that's letter K number nine, training.com and use the discount code WDR30, you'll get 30% off of that course. All right, we are back with uh, Tom Brown from Australia. Uh, origin canine origin canine podcast origin canine equipment uh, we were just talking about the whole process of australian sas and moving into special forces and whatnot and how tom's strong personality <laughs> won him friends and won him people that weren't necessarily friends so um you know talk a little bit about that like as coming into the unit 
and or into like that that environment and then coming in with the dog also and talk a little bit about the first dog you had yeah man yeah so quick distinction a lot of people when they think of australian special force they think sas right because that's the the perth unit we've got two units so i was second commando regiment then you got sas common common mistake a lot of people a lot of people confuse the two units they is they're definitely the older unit been around since like the 50s started second world war sort of thing and then australia formed them in the 50s and then two commando as it's known today was kind of formed in about the late 90s early 2000s and then 2009 we became two commando so there's yeah it's kind of like a you know navy seal versus green beret kind of thing right so in terms of like the selection course and the selection course itself is anything like any any other selection course, right? Food, sleep deprivation, horrendous physical activity. You got your your mental. Um, they they try and fatigue you and test you mentally, and you know you get reviewed by your peers and all that sort of normal type of stuff, right? Then the reinforcement cycle, the training sort of cycle that that becomes a bit more of an adult learning environment. You know, we're teaching you the skills. We know you've got the attributes, but we'll sort of We'll pressure test that every now and then. So get yes, you're right. Getting into the unit, yeah, I, I bumped heads with a lot of guys, and, and that never ended ever until still hasn't ended. Um, but <laughs> I was really, really good mates with the guys that I was mates with, and I ended up sort of becoming much better friends with some guys later on as my career progressed. So when I first got into the unit, I had I had no idea about dogs, and I had I had little interest in dogs right it wasn't until they sort of gave us a demo and they were like this is what they are this is what they do and i i'd done another trip to iraq in uh, sorry another trip in 2016 and that was to iraq that fight against isis thing which was again that was a bit of fun when i got back from that trip i went and did this promotion course in brisbane and i was being teed up by a mate of mine who was in the dog cell so I, I kind of put it off a couple of times because there was more trips coming up. So I was like, nah, nah, I'll just do it later. But I ended up not going on the second trip. Sorry, the, the third, my, my third trip to Iraq and I just did the dog course because I was like, ah, fuck it, I'll just do something different. So the, the dogs we had were assault dogs. So, you know, bite dogs, which we, we you know, we use them in that CQB top environment, you know, tracking, all that type of shit. So getting a dog and then being qualified as a dog handler, again, that was another time that you were able to distinguish yourself and show that you can add a lot of value. Because as you know, the dogs are force multipliers um, and they can really augment the way you do your close quarter battle. They can augment all different types of operations along the spectrum of what we used to do. So um, yeah, getting in to be a dog handler then going to integrate back with my company was I thought it was a really good thing for me and my career because I was able to sort of distinguish myself and show some more value and I I enjoyed doing that mate because up until that point I don't think the dogs had been integrated into the company as well as they could have been so yeah I hope that makes sense yeah so Back then, what kind of dogs were they getting? Were they cock bags or were they pretty stable dogs? Because most military units, especially high-end special forces type units, have gone through iterations of, you know, just like police here, we've, we used to all get those a-hole dogs that only one person could handle and you never knew, you know, 
here comes so-and-so and everybody's sucking the wall out of the way to now the social dog that a lot of different guys can handle and it seems to be um, changed the way the way the dogs that were selecting um, what, what were they at the time when you got in? So we didn't get dogs until after the Afghanistan campaign. So the SAS guys, the Perth guys, they had the assault dogs during the Afghanistan campaign. So they, they ran dogs and they got bites and, and also they lost a few dogs, all that type of stuff. So I think they did a lot of that hard early work that helped us get to the point they were at a lot quicker. So the types of dogs we had in the early days were actually quite social dogs that, you know, most anybody could grab and handle. Maybe like one or two exceptions, but mostly, man, they were pretty stable, pretty pretty well-balanced dogs with, with some good nerve. You know, there's, there was only maybe one or two that we had to bin for nerve or, or some other sort of issue. But, um, yeah, I think we were lucky that SAS did most of that kind of groundwork and they were able to hand off to us the type of dogs that we should be looking for. And that I reckon that probably would have helped us in our selection process. Ted and I have talked to a bunch of guys uh, on and off the air from Australia, and the the biggest theme is always it's hard to get dogs in Australia, like get into yeah. Australia. So then there's a lot of breeding programs and a lot of guys trying to do it. Is um, you find that to be pretty much the case? Because I know I think if you bring a dog in from out of the country, the the damn quarantine period can almost kill the damn thing. Yeah, dude, that that's probably one of the biggest obstacles, mate. Is like, I mean, logistically, you're flying a dog over here for sixteen hours or whatever. That's it's difficult on the dog, but it's not impossible to do. It's when you get to the other end in Australia, yeah, our quarantine, like our biosecurity measures are so strict because our ecosystem is is pretty unique in in a way because we're so isolated. You know, we've got endangered species, we've got different fucking plant life that we don't want to die. So, yeah, biosecurity is huge. So, fuck, man, like getting a dog over here, they can sit in quarantine for damn near six months. <laughs> and uh, it ain't, yeah, I'm sure. Are you allowed to go at least get them out and mess with them? I think, yeah, I think you can. There's definitely, there's definitely the ability to do that. But, I mean, that's, that's manpower intensive. And I don't think... You know, the you pay peanuts to get monkeys, right? I don't think that the monkeys working at the airport are, like, overly keen to get this special forces attack dog out of their kennel because it's a pretty imposing task, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty uh, – right. Yeah, you, yeah, I didn't think about that. There, there. Uh, I, have my, I have my own stories about picking up dogs in Houston and – me being the only vendor there that's picking up dogs that are fucking serial killers and getting them out on catch poles and other vendors being in Houston that we know that I know personally. And they're like, Oh, it's one of those. And I'm like, yeah, I have to get them out of the fucking catch pole. Hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I got to drive eight hours back to Tulsa from Houston with this motherfucker in the back of my car. And hopefully he doesn't try and kill me between now and then. And so believe me, I've had dogs yank gloves off of baggage handlers and all kinds of shit during transfers. And they're like, what am I going to do with my glove? I'm like, I don't know. Reach yeah. in there and get it, bro. Yeah, good luck. He's like, nah. He's like, I'm all right. I got another pair. I'm like, that's good. 
So the first dog that you get assigned to you, whether it's the one that you went through school with or it was the first one you, you're going to go back to the unit with, to talk about that dog. Name, what, what he was like, what you liked, what you didn't like. Mate, so the first dog I got was a dog called Colt. He was a Belgian Malinois. Um, he was had a bit, bit, a bit of a fluffy dog. Had a really, really good, friendly temperament. Uh, was a nice, stable dog, but yeah, he, he had the goods, mate. He was he was a pretty tough dog as well. And so I got him pre-course. So I went down to the dog cell from Delta Company and did like a three-month roughly on-the-job training sort of exposure period before the course. And our, our dog course was only about six weeks or eight weeks, which is, you know, I had nothing to compare it to at the time, but I realized that's a really short course, like eight weeks from oh yeah, yeah from, from zero to hero, you know, like I've never seen a dog. I'm an hour special forces canine handler sort of thing. Um, but I look back and it was, it was a pretty amazing curriculum. Like my formal canine education, I, it was pretty fucking good, man, in terms of content. But mate, Colt was a really good dog, super friendly. Everyone loved him. Um, and before I got there, he was like a pool dog. And people from the regiment would come down and they had this program where they'd give a dog out so people could take them for a run. And he was like one of the popular ones that went out for runs with the, with the girls and whatnot. Um, but because he was such a friendly dog, he got babied a bit, uh, a little bit by me, because I, again, I had no frame of reference and a little bit by the people that had sort of run him around before I got him. Um, and as we progressed through the course, he performed really well. Um, and, and he and I gelled quite well. We had a very similar easygoing sort of personality. And I, I loved him, man. He was a great little dog. I just loved spending time with him and I'd go and chill out with him in the kennel before and after work. And um, he was nice and flashy with his OB, great for his bite work. Um, but sort of as the course progressed, we started to notice like just little holes in his nerve. So when we're doing like a blank fire activity, for example, CQB wise, he was fine, no drama. He he could he he could move around, wasn't wasn't frantic or frazzled, and he would go and bite the baddie, and we could get him off, and it was all good. Had had clarity. He was a great dog. It wasn't until later on we started to do a few live fire activities, taking him to the range for some gunfire exposure stuff, that he started to sort of come unstuck a little bit, um, and the more he sort of got exposed to that type of stuff, the less he liked it. Real gunfire. Blanks was no drama. And, and, you know, it sort of got to the point where it's like his nerve started to fray. You know, he we exposed him to a couple of things like some slippery floors and some plastic bags, stuff that he, in my opinion, wouldn't have cared about previous to that. And he started to, started to not like it, started to balk at the decoy and a few things. And, um, I mean, look, he got... He got through the course, but it wasn't till like a few, I think it was a few months after the course that we sort of went, man, I just don't think he's like, I, I'm not confident I could take this dog overseas and I could send him into that room with the baddie holding a PKM machine gun. I just didn't, I didn't back him that way. As much as I loved him and he was a great dog, you know, like, and I, and I, I think I covered for him a few times. I went, no, no, it's all good. He's just, you know, he, He's had a headache for a month and a half and he had a bad breakfast or whatever. And then this is unreasonable. So I think I covered for him a few times. And then in the end, I was like, fuck, sorry, dude, I can't cover for you anymore, man. Like I just, 
I, I just I wouldn't send you overseas. So I had a chat with the with the dude, and the question had been raised a couple of times. And I, in the end, I was like, "Yeah, look, man, I just I don't think he's got it." <laughs> so we've put him back as a pull dog, and then I got reteamed with another dog um, called Danger, who's since retired. In fact, Colts retired recently as well. Yeah. That's a tough call to make too. Um, and then, cause I, I was there, you know, uh, with my first dog, she had a lot of failures on the street and I found myself making excuses all the time. You know, I always say Venus wasn't in retrograde. That's why she didn't bite, uh, whatever, you know, <laughs> the, the, the moon wasn't in the correct fucking house. Right. Yeah. Something. Yeah, she, she's a, she's and a Scorpio. You're just making excuses. Yeah. Yeah. And, but so leaving it up to you, that's a tough call, man. That's, I mean, that's a hard one, but you can, even, even as a new guy in class, you can start to see when it's a problem, you know, when it's not going to work. You know, you gotta, we always, Ted and I, every time we speak, we always tell people, you know, don't, dog comparison's a weird thing. You got to be careful. Don't worry about that guy's dog, how good he's doing. Don't compare your dog to him. Uh, will work, you know, issues with your dog, but you have eight weeks to get this dog ready to go overseas. You kind of do have to compare them to where the other dogs are. I've talked to a lot of guys from those units too. And the one thing that I always tell them, and this is the same thing. Like I have a lot of like senior handlers and stuff. They're like, well, how do you know this dog's going to bite? Like, how do you know? I've had multiple dogs come out of my schools and then within 30, 60 days have a bite, like in a serious bite where if they didn't engage, it was bad news like somebody else something else is about to happen and uh i I always water it down and i say it's kind of like porn you know it when you see it like you've seen it enough like i know like i can tell and it's hard to like if i had to write it down if i had to sit here and describe this series of like biological events and things that happened with those dogs that I'm like, yeah, this is what it looks like when they're going to bite you or when you know that they're going to. Like, and everyone that's listening to this knows what that looks like. They know what that looks like. Eric, you know what? Tom, I'm sure you know what it looks like too. You can tell, like, when I say it's like porn, you know what it looks like when you, you know it when you see it. You're like, yeah, I know. And everyone that's ever been around or has been one of, with one of those dogs is like, yeah, I can tell. Like, it's one of those dogs. And it's that's that's the look. That's the thing. And... There seems to be this big debate about, oh, will the dog actually engage? And uh, I was talking with um, one of the guys from TBD here, and when he does testing, uh, they full-on put a hidden sleeve on. If the dog refuses to engage, like on a back tire table, they wash him immediately. Like, don't even buy him. And I'm like, yeah. And, I mean, they're talking, you know, we're talking young dogs, like young dogs. And they refuse to engage in them. Like, eh, it's not bad. And it waters down. And it's somebody, I really, it's Eric Johnson, somebody I really respect. And I was like, yeah, it's the same thing. It's like porn. And I said the same thing to him. I was like, yeah, you know it when you see it. He was like, oh, 100%. You, you know yeah. they're going to bite somebody. I'm like, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, in that case, if you have a bunch of dogs to select from, even if, even yeah. if that hidden sleeve wasn't a guaranteed test, you can take just the dogs who will bite it. You know, so why have a maybe if this one will? So, so Tom, that second dog, Danger, what his career look like? What he with you and everybody else? What kind of a life did that dog have? Mate, Danger was Danger was a bit of a weapon, dude. Um, yeah, he was he was a great dog. Um, so 
he uh, he had a, a handler. He was, I think he was there from roughly the beginning of when our dog cell capability started. So he had a his very first handler developed him, or a couple of guys actually developed him from. I think it was a, either from a puppy or a young dog. Um, he was one of those dogs where his engine was just too big for his chassis. Like, you know, he, he'd get injured a lot and, and he just absolutely had no self-preservation and would just throw himself at things. Had this crazy hard bite, you know, this like wide mouth with a short muzzle sort of thing. So incredible bite pressure, but just strong nerves, great obedience, super ball and, and food driven, just like awesome, awesome dog. And I, I did no work developing that dog. I just sort of, off the shelf, took danger. He was my dude. Um, so, mate, he was like all the hard work had been done. So, all I had to do, and you know, we got we got qualified. We actually we we did what we call the M lock, which is the like the qualifying activity, and we passed that. It was all good. And mate, danger just fucking. I was just a dead weight. He just dragged me through the fucking <laughs> through the qualification. <laughs> And then I, I just got handed the award. You know that meme where like Steve Carell's shaking the hand, and it's like when you lie on your resume. <laughs> that's that's kind of yeah. <laughs> that was that was me. I was like, what what just happened? So um, yeah, he was a, he was a great dog, man. And and I think I was his third or fourth handler, dude. Um, oh wow. Yeah. So and I guess this is where my story transitions from dog handler to leaving the military and entrepreneur and whatnot. Um, I, I had a pretty heinous sort of set of personal circumstances happening at home, a divorce, and I was had a pretty severe uh, depression and whatnot, and um, and it was really starting to affect my work, um, which is, you know, not a good thing in a, in a place like Special Forces, particularly when you're handling a, a dangerous dog. Um, and ultimately... It, it got so bad for me in terms of depression and the way I was clashing with guys and, you know, you know, the whole mental health thing, you don't know what the fuck's going on until years later when you process it. I ended up leaving the dog cell early. Now I still debate whether I got kicked out or if I fucking quit. <laughs> I think, <laughs> think the lead handler and I had this weird kind of standoffish moment on this one day when we were really fucking clashing um, where I went into his office and I was like, look, man, I'm really not having a fucking good time in life. I hadn't told anyone at that stage, but I was I was actually going to fucking off myself on the course. I was going to have a range day, a pistol shoot day, and I was going to blast my fucking brains out on the, court, on the, on the range day. But luckily, I ended up not going to the range that day. We did something else, so I didn't end up fucking doing it. But... Um, you know, so I had that going on in the, in the background and, and, and clashing with dudes and whatnot. And so I think he and I sort of came up with the solution on the same day. I went into his office. I'm like, bro, this is not fucking working. I'm stressed out. I don't know what the fuck's going on. And he was like, yeah, look, I think the same thing. It's better if you go up back to the company. Um, you know, in hindsight, I wish I'd actually stayed and told someone and then worked through it and just stayed as a dog handler. But I'm I'm kind of glad everything fell apart because it it's sort of what made me it's it's what made me who I am today. So, mate, dog career shit itself. Fucking dog career died a painful death. Um, lost my dog. Went back to the to the assault platoon. Uh, 
actually ended up trying to commit suicide 2018, like the following year. Um, oh, sorry, that was when I was still in the dog cell. So this was a little bit later that I actually left. So I lost my dog and whatnot, and I was trying to go through this shitty rehab. You can imagine how awesome the military um, response <laughs> is to a thing like that. And when I say the response, I mean the systematic response, not the response of my mates in the platoon, because those guys were great. They fucking took me to hospital, all that type of shit, helped me out. It was great. Um, And without getting bogged down in the mental health sort of part, I'll I'll sort of get past this bit because we'll be fucking here all day. Um, There definitely came a point where everyone was like, okay, we're moving on with our life. Tom seems to be going okay. And then I was in the rehab thing living in this shitty state of perpetual chaos not knowing what the fuck was going on how to fix myself and whatever and then that ended up leading to the end of my military career in 2019 so i actually upgraded myself medically basically did my own fucking rehab got back to the assault platoon went back onto the domestic counterterrorism role um and then made the decision once i'd upgraded to leave on my own terms and, and discharge and i left i left pretty bitter and twisted mate i fucking hated everyone and everything and and, uh, you know, it was the whole fuck the brotherhood and no one cares and all that type of shit. And then I left and then had this sort of realisation that I was like, man, I'm really not happy with the way that I left and that I, my dog career ended that way. And I just felt embarrassed and shame and, and guilt and all that wonderful sort of stuff that you can imagine goes with the end of your career, like leaving that way. So I was like, well... I'm not happy with that, so I'm going to do something for the dog world and get back into the dog community. So I started a pet training business, uh, and I basically did that for the next like two and a half years. And I, I end up ending that business about about a year ago, actually. But in that time, and I don't know if you want to take a break now or let me get to the end of this bit, whatever you prefer. Yeah, we'll go ahead and take our, our next break. Good call. Uh, we come back. We're going to get into yeah. Origin Canine. And where where it came from and what its mission statement is, what his goal is. Um, Tom just did like a world tour. He was uh, over here in the states, uh, all over the place. Was out with our our boys from Police Canine Radio. Got on their podcast and got to uh, get the shot show and things like that. So go ahead and take a break now. When we come back. We'll we'll jump into that. We'll get into the podcast side of the house too. Um, Again, like Ted said before, please do not skip through the sponsors. Look through the show notes to see the uh, discount codes, websites, all that. You don't have to have a pen ready. You can just go through the show notes and get everything on there. We have amazing sponsors, and some of them, most of them, been with us for a long time. So we really appreciate you guys for supporting them. So we'll be right back. All right. We love the Perkinsons down in uh, North Carolina at Highland Canine Training. They are great people, great trainers. They got a good business model. They're awesome folks. We've been with them for a long time. Uh, They're also super smart and they understand that a lot of agencies are struggling to have manpower. So they're not sending people away for training. You guys have been there, you know, you put in denied lack of manpower. So they've created an online course section of their website, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. You get on there under training the online course, but here's the best thing is they offer a supervisor, canine supervisor course, which we know a lot of uh, police canine supervisors don't get to go to training. They don't know as much as they should. Right here online, 
the course discusses topics such as proper selection of dogs and handlers, proper deployment, effective allocation and utilization, as well as liability and the FLSA issues, which we know is where all the legal stuff comes from, interdepartmental. Uh, the course can be taken at your convenience and you will receive a certificate of completion at the end. Uh, they're offering an amazing discount, guys. 30% off using the discount code WDR30. It's a no-brainer. If you're a police supervisor and you guys have manpower issues and you can't go, get on tacticalpolicek9training.com under the training tab. Get on that supervisor's course, man. I'm telling you, it's a smart decision. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break for just a second and talk about Dogtra, one of our favorite sponsors. Uh, Dr. has been committed for over 20 years to crafting dog training e-collars to perfect and precise fit and finish, intuitive design, and accountable performance. The Dogtra 1900S e-collar is one of my favorites, and it demonstrates what they strive for, an ultimate dog training tool that is durable, dependable, and designed for the most demanding conditions, which I can attest to because I tear stuff up frequently. My favorite is the 1900S Black and the 1900S Hands-Free, which I use all the time. Check it out at Dogtra. Dot com. Be sure to use the discount to- code WDR10 for 10% off any single item over 200 bucks. That includes the 1900 and the 1900 black. It's no secret that we love Ray Allen canine equipment. We use their products every single day. The mission statement says it all. To be a world leader in quality and innovative innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport. To exceed our customers' expectations and deliver on time, every time, at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they've held to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything canine. Not everything canine alone, guys, dogs in general. If you train dogs, if you have a dog, everything you need for dog or canine, check out Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing, rayallencanine.com. Use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off. Super excited to have American Aluminum Accessories on board with us here at the podcast. These guys manufacture a wide variety of products from high quality cam locker toolboxes to an extensive line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of the law enforcement community. Around 1992, due to the demand for safe and secure transport for a local law enforcement agency's canine unit, they introduced the very first in-vehicle Easy Rider canine container. So it was basically what we now call just our inserts. They have continuously grown and expanded uh, the products, catering to the needs and the wants of their valued customers and high-profile clientele, and catering specifically to law enforcement. Over the years, as the needs have changed for law enforcement, they've evolved and expanded the products to include inmate transport systems, the canine training aids, which I use quite a bit of, canine inserts. Most of, Every one of my guys has one of those things. And you know, you, if you're not even have to be in law enforcement, I have several friends that are civilians that work lots of dogs that have the inserts put into their cars too so you got one that fits you can do it uh they also do contraband and animal control systems just to name a few so be sure to hit them up the website is easy rider online so that's the letter e the letter z as in zebra rideronline.com if you're looking for them on instagram and facebook it's american aluminum accessories feel free to hit them up there too so our first and oldest sponsor that's been with us from the beginning is arno out out at ALM, uh, out there in, in Las Vegas area. Arno is a great dude. He makes great stuff for, for police work and sport work, suits, tugs. I'm telling you right now, his tugs are the best in the business. You can't get any better. Multiple colors. Uh, I, I buy boxes of them from him and give them out to everybody. Uh, I've got a bite suit from him. Love it. I've had it for a little over three years, and it's holding up like a champ. 
Um, Ted's got a suit that he's had forever from ALM. Uh, we wouldn't go anywhere else, man. We love it. Arno is such a good dude. His uh, ALMK9equipment.com is the website. Get on there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom suits based on your measurements. Um, he's got stuff already already made up. If you kind of get a kind of generic large size, maybe for everybody, the colors he has, man, is really cool. He can put a lot of stuff on those suits. Uh, check him out, ALMK9equipment.com, and use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off. You know, running a kennel is one of those things that I always worry about is cleanliness and safety of dogs. And it's, it seems like it's an ever changing issue being able to house dogs and move things around everything else. So the guys at horizon structure make this as easy as possible. Literally the only thing you have to do is have water and power hookups and they deliver it and you can put dogs in that day and it's comes built, comes on a trailer. They just drop it off. You plug it in, put dogs in it and you're ready to rock. You keep them clean. You keep them safe. You keep them cool in the summer and warm in the winter time. And it's completely custom. You can go complete mild to wild. I've seen some that were stainless steel all the way from top to bottom on the inside. And then I've seen some for a, a bulldog breeder that, you know, had smaller gates because those things can't jump. So if you reach out to them, uh, they're sitting there waiting for you to call and help you through the custom design process. They have everything from two dog ones up to, uh, I want to say like 18 or 20. It's a lot of, you can put a lot of dogs, indoor, outdoor runs. So anything you've ever dreamed of, they've got it, or have done it or can do it. So they've taken all the guesswork out of building it. Everything is pre-done to your specifications and it's assembled, dropped off, boom, you're ready to rock. Things are amazing. Uh, Rigney has one. Uh, we've had him on the show a couple of times. Go check out his Instagram and you can see he's posted it up there before. Go look Horizon up at Horizon Structures, spelled out uh, on the internet. It's horizonstructures.com. And you're going to look for the link in there that says commercial dog kennels. Or give them a call, 888-447-4337. They'd love to talk to you and get you started on the way. All right, everybody. We are back. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite with Tom Brown from Origin Canine. Um so most of you, if you don't follow Tom's podcast and don't know, because he you know, he talks about it with other guests, that second segment took a turn that you probably weren't expecting, right? Um, about how you know things are going along with the dog, how great the dog was, and then such is life and how shit happens, man. The mental stuff t- takes over and things just kind of fell apart with him for a little while. Um, we're happy that you didn't go to the range that day, buddy, because you're sitting here with us. Um, Happy that you were unsuccessful. Um, selfishly happy, of course, that you were unsuccessful in, in other things that you're uh, trying. So you started the pet business. You're doing the pets. You know, pet stuff can be cool. I mean, it, it can be fulfilling and unfulfilling. You know, it's it's especially if you come from the, the world that you came from. You might not touch that thing. You know, that one thing that you got inside you, like there's a hole and you're like, what is it? And so you dove deep into basically, in my opinion, problem solving, problem solving gear problems that that military and police have. Um, was that the basis of it? Something you saw a hole and you wanted to fill it with a specific piece of gear first and then just went from there? Yeah, I guess that's in essence, that's what it is. Um, you know, when I was doing the pet stuff, like you said, I was trying to scratch a niche, right? I was like, I want to I want to get back some of what I lost in the military and lost in my dog career. And I just thought in the early days that was 
pets, right? So I did a lot of upskilling, did a lot of courses. Um, you know, went to like a Pat Stewart seminar, and you know, you know, like Pat's a great educator, so that sort of helped me a lot clarify a lot of the way that I that I think about dog things now. And all I just you know did a bunch of Learbird courses, all the podcasts and fucking YouTube channels and whatever. So I was I was upskilling and I was trying to learn and get involved in dogs as much as I could. Um, and in the meantime, I was like, well, I want to get a Mal. I just I want to get a Mally puppy. So I got this young Mal from a guy called, called um, Ben Haley here. He, he sells some pretty fucking strong Mal's, and I, I want to get another one actually, but I've got to get permission first. Um, so I got this dog Django. And basically, I started developing him to sell to an agency. And he was like the pressure test for all my ideas in in dog training. So obviously, I had this development dog for a military or police unit. So I needed a bunch of equipment. So I, I sort of cherry-picked this, these bits of kit from everywhere. And there's little things I was like, why the fuck is the handle there and not there? Why is this and that? da 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 so as I sort of went through the training with Django, I was like, you know, like I said earlier, I, I consider myself somewhat of an out-of-the-box creative thinker. So I was like, I reckon I could do that better, but I just don't know how to do it. So I came up with some ideas on a whiteboard and this could be cool, that could be cool. And I was, I wanted to validate my ideas early outside of the whiteboard you know, I don't want to be a, what we call in the army a good idea fairy, you know, plan in isolation and go, this is awesome, and then give it to someone and they just fucking die because you made a shit idea. So I basically got in my car, got a got a dude to make up some prototypes for me, these little ideas that I had, and I drove from uh, Brisbane down to Melbourne and back, and that's like a 30-hour round trip roughly and I visited as many police and military agencies on the way as I could so I validated all these ideas got some great feedback that's great that's shit and it was really a good pressure test right because that's what you've got to do you've got to fail hard and fail early so that you can do better in the long term so I was like cool there's definitely a market here like there's there's I don't see a lot of actual canine handlers particularly SF dudes um doing the canine equipment space. There was not, like no one in Australia that was that was doing it just for canines. So I linked up with these manufacturers in Townsville, these guys called Krieger Industries, another veteran company, um, and then just launched Origin Canine. Um, and we had this really rocky start. You know, we had this logistical issue of the distance. They're about 11 hours north, and we were trying to – I was trying to communicate all these obscure ideas that I had by like taking a photo and drawing shit, and ultimately they will they launched the business and the way I do things. But in the end, I was like, I need a lot more control. So I was like, I'm not a half measure kind of guy. I'm either on or I'm off, right? Maybe it's autism, maybe it's ADHD, maybe it's Maybelline. I don't know, but I was like, I'm fucking going for it. So I sold my car. Um, all my savings I put into fitting out the shed that's locked down in my backyard right now. Bought like 150k worth of material from MMI textiles and all this hardware and sewing machines. And I put this fucking big ad out for a sewing machine operator. I got this awesome, awesome chick that lives pretty local, name's Catherine. Um, and she just fucking 
was just a weapon, mate. Like dismantled all the kit that I had, made all these tech packs, fixed up the things I wanted to fix. And we just started making gear again, dude. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it sort of started picking up a bit of momentum. And then one day I was chatting to a mate of mine and he was having some personal troubles in his life or whatever. And I, and I said something like, just fucking go all in, bro. Burn the boats. Just, just make the decision and do it. And later that day, I was like, man, I wonder what I'm not deciding to do, you know, via my actions. Something I've been thinking about but haven't done. I was like, fuck it, I'm going to the States. So I texted a mate of mine, Sean, um, and I went, hey, dude, let's go to SHOT Show. And he was in a meeting, and I'll send him, I'll send you a screenshot. It's kind of funny. I was like, oh, what the fuck are you doing? Hurry up, respond to me. Guess where we're going in six months, the States. Can't wait to go there. Thanks for coming. And just, just being a dickhead because he hadn't responded. And he wrote back, yep, I'm in, done. And then six months went, or four months went by of inactivity and telling everyone we were going to the States and how awesome we were. And then last two months, we actually booked all these flights. And then, where, mate, we just booked tickets to SHOT Show, went over, linked up with like Greg from DTAC Canine, um, did some ride alongs, met Kyle Schoberg from Shots Fired Podcast at um, this siege in like the sacramento area uh fuck what else we do met up with like um mike Sassant. um met mike ritland's got him on the podcast just met all these awesome amazing people because both of us knew how different you guys are over there with the way you approach canine and and how enthusiastic you are and and i was like well if i want to have an impact on this community I've got to go to the place, like to the mecca, so to speak, of where it gets done. So that's what we did. We just, we had minimal to no plans. We booked the flight in, the flight out, like two things the whole time we were there and the rest of it was just off the cuff. And yeah, going back in September to meet up with one of your former guests, Jean-Claude LeBlanc at um, the ATK9 conference. And uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> You'll like that place that, that they're having the conference at, uh, Muscatatuck. There's, it's cool, man. There's a lot of neat places that you can, a lot of things you can do, and there's tunnels and train wrecks and a hospital. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. I've been there a bunch of times. Um, Jean Claude's a good dude. I like him. Um, yeah. He hides things from me when my people go train <laughs> with him because they come back with scenarios and I steal them. Every time. <laughs> He's like, don't show this to Stambro. Don't let him see it till later. Don't don't tell us. To yeah, no bro. video while we're here. He, <laughs> he does that all the time. Eric. He's a good dude. We have him and I have a lot of mutual friends. So, um, what led you to? So you you got the equipment going. Um, what what led to the podcast? How how that kind of idea come about? Because it's a really good one. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Appreciate, it, dude. Um, so, because I I enjoy the business aspect as well. Right, I enjoy sort of tinkering around in the background, and part of that was like, you know, what's your what's your mission statement? What's your purpose? And I used to just write down these really generic statements in the early days because it's just I was like, cool, I'll just tick that box. And it, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, there's so much more I want to do for the dog world than just make kit. Because I don't, I don't want to like hide behind the equipment and not expose myself and, and pressure test my own ideas about training or operational stuff or, you know, the mental health or, you know, whatever it is. So 
The mission statement for Origin Canine is to enhance the full life cycle of working canines and handlers, right? I'm a people person. I love the people and I love the dogs. So I fucking want to help both of them. So there was the podcast for me, mate, is just, it's a way for me to stay connected with the canine world. Um, and it's, it's a way to just get some people's voices out there that maybe are lost in the noise, you know? Um, and I, I really get the shits with this narrative in the media about the, the, I don't like the demonising of, of, of men and the demonising of police and military units, especially with that like AB 742 law in California. And, and I just, I feel like that sort of warrior way of life and that mindset, that protector mentality is under attack. So I was like, I could whinge about it and I could talk about how fucked up that is, or I could just provide a counter narrative and just get people to tell their story and share their perspective. So yeah, there's definitely a selfish element in there for me where I get to feel connected, but there's also that counter narrative part where I'm going, don't ever forget that there are people that stand between fucking baddies in this world. Like that piece of shit that shot up that, school like yesterday like i'm here celebrating my daughter's first birthday t today and i wake up to fucking dead toddlers in the hallway i'm like fuck that there's there's people out there doing awesome work that are going to stop people like that killing your fucking kids and some of them have dogs and they're going to fucking use them and if you demonize those people and try and throw them in the bin and tell them they're all toxic or, or you know whatever the narrative is that they've got you're going to get more shootings. You're going to get more fucking cops killed. Your, 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 your home's going to get invaded. You're going to get your stuff robbed. So I'm just like, I want to put those stories out there, man. I, yeah. It infuriates me as well as sort of ignites me at the same time. Yeah. Um, do you find... So you're... you're, you're podcast is you know like i said at the beginning there are some there's some dog stuff you have interviews with a lot of dog stuff there's a lot of other things you'll talk about tactical and this and that do you find it uh therapeutic the, having the podcast yeah i definitely do man yeah yeah it, it helps me make some new friends too you know what i mean like so greg greg tawny from dtac right never met greg in my life Oh, yeah. yeah. We love Greg. Uh, so a previous mate of mine whose episode, very similar to Gary Higgs, I had to take down because he had a complaint against him. But, I'll, yeah, I'll put it up at some point in the future. <laughs> um, Jesus fucking Christ, that guy. Fucking Gary. I'm not even going to say his name. He's like Beetlejuice. <laughs> if you say his name, he gets in oh, trouble. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say his name. <laughs> fucking worthless handler <laughs> yeah so it was kind of, it was kind of a worthless handler situation anyway so this mate of mine mick he, he introduced me to greg right. and then greg came to the podcast and then we end up meeting up overseas so for me it's a way to to connect and it definitely is therapeutic um mate it's it's a, it's a way for me to sort of sometimes work through some of my own ideas but definitely get some perspective on some things from other people yeah What is um, what has been your favorite part? For me, the my favorite part of the podcast is expanding our a our knowledge base. Uh, Ted and I have both made a bunch of changes in 
or at least additions into our training programs based on guests and things that we've talked to. But by far, my favorite part is when Ted and I are at Hits or Blue Line and all the people that we get to meet and all the people that we touch who are learning because their department won't send them for training or they've learned a couple little things here and there. Um, what, what has been your favorite part of having a podcast? Mate, I think the favorite part is when people reach out and they, they tell me that they've been impacted in some way by the podcast in, in, in a, in a positive way. You know, they go, Hey man, particularly the mental health stuff. Right. Um, and I, I fucking hate that term because it's such a sterile, you know, middle of the road, overused term but that for lack of a better term the mental health stuff people reach out and go hey thanks for telling your story or i heard the episode with x and they said this and it really resonated with me um so yeah man i think just having an impact on people dude because sometimes when they come on the podcast as a guest they might talk through something or think about something in a different way that it might give them a different perspective of something that they've been through or they can sort of analyze while they talk something that's happened to them. So yeah, long story short, I think the impact that it has on people, mate, the positive impact. Yeah. I, I think Ted, you, you probably agree with that, right? On our end. Yeah. You know, and when we first started this, uh, the podcast, you know, working dog radio was kind of the first, I don't know, like, big working dog podcast and it's like one of the larger ones still and you know the first hits we went to after the fact eric and i had guys come up to us and we they were like yeah we listen to every episode I'm like, you do and i was shocked i was like what the fuck and every time i go to hrds now and eric same thing when you go to seminars people are like i listen to every episode and they'll say shit to me they're like do you remember saying this i'm like oh it sounds like something I, that 100 percent sounds like something i would say but i don't remember saying it no and, you know, and it's the same thing. And we just had on um, another guest from, uh, we had on um, Kyle from the Shots Fired podcast, and he talked a lot about that as well. And a lot of his podcast is about the same type of thing uh, at about the mental health side and about helping law enforcement officers in the United States. And like you mentioned earlier, like we do shit different over here. And uh, it, like you mentioned, we had that fucking weirdo shooting up a school in fucking Tennessee this week. And, um, that, that weighs on people. And, um, you know, if you go back and listen to the, and actually it's the episode before this one. So if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to it. And you can listen to the episode about when Eric got into his shootings and like Eric got a whole two days off. Mm-hmm. Was it two days or did you get like 24 hours? Uh, the first one I got about two and a half days. The, the worst one was the excited delirium case where the guy died while we were fighting and I worked the next day. Yeah. So super lots of empathy in the early nineties and fucking law enforcement. Right. So, um, and, and that's been one thing that I think this, that was an unintended consequence of the podcast. I'll put it that way. Uh, it was completely unintended that we would connect with people that way. Um, and to be honest, that's the most gratifying part of this and more than anything else, because we'll go to like fucking wherever, in the country and doing these seminars and connecting with guys and go to the podcast or go to seminars. And they're like, oh, I listened to this episode. It was great. This episode really helped me. And Eric and I both have people reach out to us on Instagram and Facebook and fucking text message and email and wherever. And they're like, Lou, I'm having this problem. I don't know who to talk to. Help me. Like you're the only guys I know 
<laughs> like, and they're like, you don't even know me. Yeah. Like, I'm just some asshole you listen to when you're at work. Like, you don't know me, but of course I'm going to help you. <laughs> like, and we do. I mean, Eric and I spend a lot of time doing that kind of stuff. So it is gratifying. And I, I have to admit that that was not, um, not even in the top 10, like, goals when we started this thing but now it is definitely a a uh a driving direction and i'm sure the origin podcast is the same i've listened to some of the episodes and it's the same it's the same thing right like so um it's a very focused audience and a very focused listener base and we're speaking directly to them um that said i'm not immune because we're in the united states i know who else listens to this and i talked directly to some of them on the last episode about the whole, you mentioned the thing in California, I told them I don't give a shit. So um, they can listen to it too, and I don't care. But that's not who I'm talking to. But yeah, you know, I mean, I applaud you. I applaud the guys from Police Cannon Radio, from Hits Cannon Radio, from Howard and Rich, like everybody, Bradshaw, like guys that are doing podcasts that are talking to our community. And then obviously not on the canine side, like all the other, there's several podcasts now that are directed strictly at guys from uh, from the special operations community. And I've had a lot of guys reach out to me and tell me, you know, like, you know, it really helps to hear that. Um, you know, one guest that sticks out in particular is Trent. Uh, we had Trent on, who was a ranger handler, uh, handled Ben, yeah, handled Blaka. Right. And, um, yeah, and, you know, I, I've known Trent a long time, long before he was in on the podcast. And uh, he's he's a good kid. And I love him like family. And he said, you know, coming on the podcast and talking about Leica and Benno and the whole thing was really cathartic and was really kind of like, you know, helped a lot. And then he went on to do the HBO thing and then the deal with Channing Tatum and uh, the movie. And so, you know, talking to me and fucking Eric <laughs> first. It's like, you know, he's talking to me when he's in his fucking living room. Uh, but, you know, and... I just, it helps, I think, dudes not feel like they're isolated, which I think is a huge problem, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think it helps people not feel like a piece of shit, right? Because I, I hate, like, you're probably the same. I hate the broken veteran, ex military, ex police mentality. You're like, you're not ex police, you're not ex military, you're now something new. You're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, you're a father, you know, whatever. So, like, when I talk about the whole mental health thing, I hate I hate dwelling on it and being like, oh, poor me, it was so sad. I'd, I'd rather tell people what I did with it and where I went with it after, as opposed to, you know, sometimes I get bogged down in the details because I think it's important for people to hear so they can relate to it. But ultimately, I like to talk about how it ended and how I fucking fixed it because I think, I think that's the most impactful part. So where do we see the future here with both um, the manufacturing company and the podcast, both of which Origin Canine, Origin Canine podcast? Uh, mate, podcast is just going to tick away, tick away as it has been. So just getting good guests, just recording some some good stuff, man. Um, and I'll sort of I've just recently discovered how to do video because I'm a technological genius as of uh, a couple of weeks ago. So um, I just had to like a different button but anyway so i've got video finally on the fucking podcast <laughs> and so i'm going to start putting it on youtube so people can sort of see the guests a bit better maybe flash some photos on the screen in my really rudimentary powerpoint presentation 
primary school sort of way. Um, and then the actual business itself, mate, I've got a few little things that I've got going on. Um, I mean, I've always got new products coming out. I'm always trying to think of new shit, better ways to do things. Um, but definitely I've got – so my team's expanding. I've just recently brought on a new team member, a guy called Rhett. Um, so he's going to come give us a hand, hopefully bring down some of those lead times. Uh, and then I – so long story short, when I was still in the military, a dog that I was taking care of, who was a friend of mine's dog, ended up was supposed to retire, ended up getting put down for a, new, a, a variety of reasons. And then Colt, that dog that I, my first dog, he retired, and I was originally told what I was going to get him. And then, you know, at the 11th hour, he was given to, to someone else, right? Um, so for me, I want to start some sort of um, retirement canine fund in Australia we set up, you know, sponsor individual dogs and have a criteria that I'll set them up with, like, you know, a crate, a collar and a lead and, you know, a month worth of vet bills or whatever. And then I want to sponsor a number of ex-military or police dogs. And the next phase after that for me is coming up with some sort of national standard that the different agencies can adhere to when it comes to retiring their dogs. Yeah, because it's a free-for-all at this point, right? It's uh, nothing set in stone. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it, mate. Like, there's there's always a lot of, a lot of chatter, you know. I was always told, oh, they So, anyways, where can people find you at, bud? Uh, dude, so you can go on Instagram. So, I'm origin, O-R-I-G-I-N, dot canine, letter K number nine. Um, origin canine was already taken. I think it's like a grocery store in China or something. So, it's origin yeah, I know. Go figure. It's origin.k9 on Instagram, and it's the same on Facebook. Uh, then you can go to the website, origin.k9.com, and you can obviously go to the podcast, which is the Origin K9 podcast, which is on like Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, uh, what's the other one? Fucking uh, Apple, iTunes, iTunes, and Anchor. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Nice. Good. <laughs> How about you, Ted? Where can people find you? Uh, Ted underscore Summers on Instagram. Uh, it's memes and dog stuff. Um, <laughs> and things that I find funny, uh, which people seem to like. So, uh, and then uh, Torchlight Canine, letter K number nine on Instagram and Facebook, uh, as well as HRD Police Canine on Instagram and Facebook. And of course, working underscore dog underscore radio on Instagram and working dog radio on the Facebook. Uh, that's where you can find us. I'm also on Twitter. I got banned today uh, again for like the ninth time because so after Papa Elon took over, I started an account and all I said was I'm a police canine trainer and had a picture of me in Philadelphia at the one of the HRDs. And before I even posted anything, my account got banned like three times because apparently, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I said something today about a pronoun joke about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know the joke. It was, yeah, I know. So, <laughs> I and I within minutes, I was like, I'm banned for 24 hours. I'm like, oh, it's totally. Right. <laughs> uh, so could you could you share this? Uh, no, no regrets. I'll do it again. Uh, I, <laughs> so you can find me on Twitter at Torchlight Ted. Uh, I don't post a whole lot on there. It's literally just like reposting things and posting videos of stuff that we're doing at the kennel. Um, so other than that, where are you, Eric? Van SK9 on Instagram, Van SK9 Academy on 
Facebook, uh, workingdogradio.com. We got a ton of merch on there. Um, we got some pretty cool t-shirt designs and we can actually, you can make the design into, from a hoodie, uh, all kinds of stuff. The Stellan is my safe word seems to be like one of the most popular ones right now. Um, we saw a lot of those. Yeah. When, um, if Trump runs, continues to run for president again, we will bring up our, um, make America bite again (laughs) shirt, which is. Brilliant, one of our one of our favorite ones. And your dog outs fake news. That was one of the yeah. best ones. Also, yeah. remember that yeah, one? That was a good one. Yeah, and out this yeah. with the middle finger. We had we had some good ones on. Also, there. I handed out a bunch of those patches when I was in Florida. Yeah, yeah, awesome show. So Tom, it's been great having you on, man. I I appreciate it. It's um, we love having other podcast people on. I love being on your show. Um, I got to if you go listen. I think I was episode six on the Origin Canine podcast. Let me look. Let me pull that up right now because I was listening to it earlier. Yeah, episode six. So I'm early on. This was recorded in October of last year. Yeah. Um, I got into some things that people don't really don't know about me. Some stuff I talked about in the last episode of this podcast, and um, so it was pretty good. Um, I like your format because you can get like talk about how people grew up and what it was like where they lived and everything else and. I like that. You kind of get down into inside people a little bit. So thanks, bro. Check it out. Episode six, Tom. Um, I'm going to try to get up to Miscatatuck when you're there. Um, I know everyone who's there. Uh, it's about five and a half hours from me. Um, but it's not like I can drop up, hang out for the day and leave. I guess I could, but the, the towns around there are tiny little bullshit towns. There's really nowhere to stay. So, um, I might, I might, I might not. We'll see. But um, yeah. Anyways, thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Nah, boys, I appreciate yeah. having you on, man. So yeah, thanks, thanks. All right, check them out. Origin Canine Podcast. Origin Canine. You got your reasons. I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.